Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on Chargers Weekly. We've got a great episode for you this week. We'll continue our Know Your Rivals series and talk Raiders with Vic Tafer of the Athletic Bay Area. NFL Draft Scouts Dane Brugler also stops in for some early draft talk with the Combine just a month away. But we'll kick things off with a Super Bowl preview courtesy of Chargers Offensive Coordinator Ken Wisenhunt. Ken Wisenhunt joins me on Chargers Weekly, and Coach, I appreciate the time. I want to dig into this Super Bowl with you, but first, a nice start to the offseason in Los Angeles when it was announced that you and Gus Bradley, both coming back in 2018, got to be a good feeling, Coach, to get rolling in a new year with the core of this team and coaching staff in place. Well, there certainly is a lot of excitement. You know, Chris, it's it's good to be with you, but uh, I think just the way we finished the the closeness of this team and this staff, you always feel good about that. We were certainly disappointed that we didn't get into the playoffs because we feel like we would have had a chance to to make a good run in the playoffs. But I just think from where everything started and um, you know how we got through the year and then finishing up the way we did, really a good feeling about our team. And I'm sure that that we'll have confidence going back into this season. So there's a lot of things to be excited about. Coach, there's a lot of big-time changes going on up and down the division right now, but the theme so far with the Chargers has been that continuity. And you know what? I go back to your first season as a head coach with the Cardinals in 2007. Your team goes 8-8 eight and eight in year one, but that second season, you had the same coordinators in place. You get into the playoffs. You eventually get to the Super Bowl. How important was it for you in that second season, Coach, to have familiar faces on the coaching staff and that established culture in place? Well, I think it's, you know, you never want to say it's it's similar or we're going to do the same thing. But of I course. think the, 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 the indicators there were um, we were playing pretty good football that year at the end of the season. We went through some rocky times early in that season. And part of that was a little bit different from the standpoint of, you know, we were in one place. But, um, you know, we had we were feeling each other out. We had to find out about the players. We had to find about find out about the coaches and um, you know so I think the big thing is where it feels really similar is at the end of the year we won that last game and we had a great feeling going into the off season and that was you know that carried over I mean we still had some rocky points the next year when we actually got to the Super Bowl but um, the, at the end of that season the 08 season where we actually went to the Super Bowl um, we were really playing good football we were playing together as a team we believed we could do it and, and uh, you you know, it felt a little bit like this team this year. So hopefully we can have that type of success. Let's get into the Super Bowl, Coach, because you were in this spot nine years ago. We just mentioned it. What's this week like for a head coach as you prepare for the biggest game of the season while dealing with everything that comes with it that many would see as distractions? Well, I tell you, the biggest thing is it's, it's about everything but football this week. There's so many things going on from media commitments to distractions at the Super Bowl site. Even, you know, one of the things that you don't think about is even getting in and out of the hotel. I mean, you have, you have security there and you have a section where, you know, you can, you can get to your hotel rooms, but there's so many people in the hotel and there's so many things going on. Um, you know, that's why the first week, which is last week for these teams, it's so important to get your plan in. You're, you're lucky because you have the extra week where you can do some work on the opponent. You can actually practice. You can look at your plan and think about things that you may want to change. So this second week is more about just refining your plan and being prepared for the game. But I think one of the things that's so critical is that it's such a unique experience from the standpoint of, um, 
the commitments that you have outside of football and the actual game day is so different. You know, it's, there's so much of the start and stop, start and stop that, um, you know, it can, it can really wear on you if you're not prepared for it. And I think that, uh, you know, even for instance, just the sense of coming off the field, for instance, now in a regular season game, when we come off the field, usually you have about 12, 13 minutes until the two minute warning. And that's, that's a time that's, you know, you're trying to get ready to go, you're nervous, you have that nervous energy, and that 12 minutes feels like a long time. But you get to the Super Bowl game and you come off that field and you're talking about a half hour, 40 it's minutes. Two games. Before you, <laughs> yeah, before you get back out there. And, um, you know, it is, uh, it, it is different. And there's no way to prepare for it. You can talk about it all you want, but, you know, you just, until you physically go through it. One of the things that was really important for us in the Super Bowls that I've been to was at halftime, we had food. Because, you know, when you think about it on a game day right now for our team, you have a pregame meal. Let's say we're playing a one o'clock game. We have a pregame meal at nine o'clock. Um, and then you go out and you play a game from one to four thirty. I mean, by the end of that four thirty, you're hungry. You know, you've burned a lot of energy. Sure. You've had that one meal. You don't want to eat too much before the game because you feel sluggish. Think about that from a Super Bowl perspective. You have your pregame meal. Now the game goes four and a half hours. You got a long halftime, you know, you, there's a legitimate chance you can run out of energy. So there's all kinds of little things that go on with that outside of just the actual game that you're not prepared for that you have to work through. Coach, what was your fondest memory of that week? It was one of the greatest Super Bowl games we've ever seen. Uh, what was your fondest memory of just experiencing that with your team? My favorite memory, um, you know, when you get to that point, it's so much about your family because and your friends because everybody is so excited and they all want to be involved. The game is, you know, certainly it's exciting to go to a game, but in talking to a number of people that um, had been to Super Bowls and that's what you, that's what you do. You know, you, you, you have a network of friends that you'll call that have been to the Super Bowl and you say, Hey, hey what are the things that are important to you? And one of the things that I did is I talked with coach Belichick this many years ago, just from the standpoint of, um, you know, what are things that you look for? And he was very gracious and gave me some some insight. But one of the things that he did that we ended up doing down in Tampa that year was the Saturday walkthrough before the Super Bowl Sunday. We did it at the facility that we were practicing at, but we brought all the families to the walkthrough. That's great. So that we, we had buses and everybody's family came and we had the walkthrough. And then once the walkthrough was over, the families got to interact with the players. So you got a chance to take pictures with um, players and enjoy that experience. And to me, that was my favorite memory of the Super Bowl week. Coach Sunday, it's Patriots and Eagles, two teams the Chargers saw up close this season. And we'll start with Philadelphia, a team that the Chargers played in week four. Doug Peterson and a guy you coach with in Arizona and with the Chargers, Frank Wright, they, they've done a heck of a job with that offense, especially with Carson Wentz going down late in the season. What have they done with Nick Foles in these playoffs that have him playing at such a high level? Well, I think they were fortunate that they had a talented player, one that had played in big games before that was in that role as a backup. And it, and it took a little bit to get adjusted. I mean, nobody was giving them a chance um, after Carson Wentz went down. But you could see Foles playing a little bit better and then a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, he's playing pretty good football. So he's been in that um, 
situation before where he's been in a big game, he's had to make plays. I think that they, they did a good job of staying true to their system. And then I think they geared it a little bit to doing some of the things that he does well. And it allowed him to get some confidence. And I think he, he played really well in the championship game. He did a nice job. He obviously made some tremendous throws. Um, and, you know, they've done a good job with their scheme of trying to tailor it each week to how they're going to attack their opponents. And, um, you know, from during the season and watching them play, because a lot of times when we'd play some teams that they had played and we got to see their offense against the defenses that we were scouting, you know, you could see some of the concepts that they were running and how they attacked them. They did a nice job of that. They had a good plan um, and they did a good job of executing that. And, and the thing is, he falls experienced quarterback he's a smart guy he was involved with that all along the process so it's you know in in a lot of ways it was a little bit fortunate that Carson went down early enough that he had a chance to get his feet wet and get playing again so that he was playing at a good level as they got into the playoffs and you know they have they have two great running backs too with Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt, who has that Super Bowl experience how does this offense match up with the Patriots defense that started the season slow but you know they really tightened things up after the first four weeks of the season, they were allowing a lot of points, really tightened things up after week four. Well, you know, I think that the Patriots do such a great job of scheming, trying to take away what you do well. But one of the things that the Eagles have done a lot of things well, they've run the ball effectively, like you said, with the two backs. They've been able to throw it, you know, the, the um, Jeffrey, Aguilar, those guys have been very productive and their tight ends have been um, playing really well for them. So, you know, I think the big thing that um, New England's going to obviously try to take that away, but I think New England, but I think Philly will do a good job of scheming their matchups, um, and I would I would expect to see the tight ends have a big role in this game because that's an area with um, that I think that they're going to that I would think they would try to exploit, which they've done very well this year. Coach, the Chargers played the Patriots in the middle of the year, and you mentioned Coach Belichick at the top. They're making their eighth Super Bowl appearance, Belichick and Brady. And they can beat you in so many different ways. they got a stable of running backs to go with all those weapons on the outside. What's the most difficult thing to prepare for when going up against a Brady-led offense? That's just it, what he does. You know, he does such a good job of being able to find the open player when they're running, the, when they're passing the ball. But I think one of the things that really stands out to me about the Patriots is their guys, they have a knack for making that huge play and the important part of the game, you know, they can get the one-on-one matchups, whether it's a, they're trying to match up a back running against a linebacker or um, where they're trying to get a deep shot down the field to a receiver. But you see a lot of plays where they make big plays, a contested catch. You know, you can think about some of the plays in the Super Bowl, even last year where the guys will make a great catch looking at the championship game, the catch that Amadola made in the end zone, yeah. you know, that he got both feet down and still made the catch. You know, that's what they've done so well in big moments. Their players make those big plays and, you know, they're they're And a lot of that is because Brady understands that and he puts the ball. He's so accurate with, with delivering the ball that he puts him in the places where these guys can make those catches and they do that. And, and they're not afraid to go back to the run game. One of the things that's most difficult to defend against those guys in watching them is when they go in their hurry up offense and go to the line and run their zone scheme runs, 
a lot of times which go to the left side, they're very effective with that. So, you know, as a defense, those are things that are challenging to prepare for because um, it happens quick. You're trying to get lined up, and they're very efficient in their zone scheme of running those plays. So, um, you know, the biggest thing I see from those guys is they've been together for a number of years. So when you get into those situations where you have to make a play, or you have to go fast to try to get the advantage. They've done that before. They've had success doing that. So they're very confident that they'll be able to do it. And, you know, they play well. If the Patriots do win this, they'll certainly earn it against a Jaguars defense a couple of weeks ago and then this Eagles defense. And, Coach, you had a game plan against both of these defenses. They're both elite. What's the biggest difference between the two? Well, I mean, obviously the the Eagles defense is a different scheme of defense. They're an up the field pressure football team. They're trying to to uh, um, create disruption with their defensive line, and and uh, you know they've taken away the run because they're so physical getting up the field, and uh, you know they're trying to get pressure on the quarterback. That's which whereas the the Patriots are scheming you, you know they're giving you multiple looks. They're they're looking to. Um, try to confuse you with what they're giving you and then create those matchups where they can make plays. So it's going to be an interesting chess match, uh, chess match between those two defenses. So, um, you know, they're both challenging, like you said, because New England's been playing their scheme. They're, they're very good at it, where Philadelphia is more, they're going to out-physical you and get you just because they're putting pressure on you with their front four, um, trying to make you get the ball out before you're ready to it and make a mistake. A lot of fun storylines. could be really intriguing on Sunday. We'll get you out of here on this, Coach. You don't have to give me a score or anything, but, but, but what do you think is going to decide this game? Obviously, you have Brady on one side, you have Foles on the other. Uh, two good defenses. and In a lot of areas, they really mirror each other. I'm, I'm just intrigued to what you think could decide this game. That's a, that's a good question. I think it's really going to come down to how Philadelphia's offense plays against their defense. You know, I, I think Philadelphia's defense against Brady is going to be good at times, and there's going to be times where um, they have success, but it's really going to come down to how uh, Foles and those guys in Philly can operate against this defense and if they can make those plays down the field in the pass game and their effectiveness running the football. Yeah. One of the things that they've been so good at is running the ball with Jay Ajay and um, Le- LeGarrette Blunt, and then mixing in the play action off of that. That's where they've had tremendous success. So um, are they going to be able to have success with that? I think it's, that's what it's really going to come down to. It's going to be fascinating. We're, we're excited for Sunday, and Coach, we're thrilled you're back. I can't thank you enough for your time today, and I uh, really hope to catch up with you again this offseason. Great being with you today, and we're uh, excited to see what happens this Sunday. All right, we're fresh off the Senior Bowl and exactly one month away from the 2018 NFL Scouting Combine in Indy. Uh, please be joined by Dane Brugler of NFLDraftScout.com for some early draft talk. And Dane, let's start with the Senior Bowl. A lot to digest, but what did you learn from the week that may have changed your opinions on some of these guys going into Mobile? Uh, I don't know if we necessarily learned something that we didn't know, but I think just like the Combine, just like uh, you know pro days and workouts, uh, these pre-draft events help as kind of cross-checking exercises you know make sure that what we see on the tape matches up uh you know the best player i saw in mobile this week uh might be isaiah win the georgia uh played left tackles past year of the sec champs moved inside the guard which we expected uh but he did it during practice uh at the senior bowl practices and he was outstanding uh just a few times uh blockers got through him in one-on-one drills 
Uh, you see the initial punch, you see the hip sink, uh, you see the ability to uh, adjust and re-anchor on the move. Uh, to me, Isaiah wins the first-round player. Uh, and I think he's going to be somewhere in that late first, early second-round range. Will Hernandez, the guard from UTEP, uh, also had a great week. So the interior linemen really showed up. Uh, a couple small school guys, this is the, kind of their chance to show that they can you know, step up against big competition. Uh, Nathan Shepard, defensive tackle from Fort Hayes State, was dominant through two practices. Uh, unfortunately, he broke his hand. Uh, on Wednesday practice, but he was nearly unblockable for those first uh, one and a half practices. He helped himself greatly. I heard some top 100 buzz for him. And then, of course, we have to talk about the quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, those two being the, the top attractions. Um, I thought Baker Mayfield was the best quarterback there. Uh, you know, what we saw at Oklahoma, he showed in Mobile. Uh, and I think we have to give both these guys credit for just showing up. Uh, a lot of times the top quarterbacks will choose to skip this event. Uh, you know, they're going into a setting where it's uh, unfamiliar coaching, it's brand new receivers, the timing, the chemistry can be off. But both these guys came and they competed. I, they deserve credit for that. And both helped themselves. Baker Mayfield, uh, everything was quick. Snap, the release. I was kind of worried that, you know, we know Josh Allen has that huge arm, and it showed. The zip and the velocity on his throws were outstanding. And I was kind of worried that Mayfield going, you know, right after, right before Josh Allen would necessarily, you know, his arm wouldn't look as strong yeah. uh, compared to Allen's. And, but that wasn't the case. Uh, you see the wrist snap. You see the ball coming out of his hand quickly. Uh, so I thought, you know, Mayfield, the anticipation, the uh, ac- accuracy, uh, throwing on the move, everything we saw at Oklahoma, he showed a mobile. So I think he kind of cemented his his place as uh, the top senior quarterback, and uh, he was the top quarterback in Mobile that I saw. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Baker Mayfield it was certainly worth his while to go to Mobile and perform. He came in a little bit late, but uh, I think he handled the week very well. And then Josh Allen, to your point, I mean, he had a he had a good week. He had a nice third quarter in that game. Showed a little touch on the ball. Mm-hmm. Do you think that those guys? prove that their top 15 picks this year in, in how close and I asked a few people this last week how close is that gap between guys that we weren't able to see last week Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen uh, when you talk about the top half of that first round there will be no consensus answer to that question yeah. uh, you know 32 NFL teams we're going to have 32 different opinions on those top four quarterbacks and I'd even throw Lamar Jackson in the mix uh, you know, it just, there's so many varying opinions on these guys, uh, with Sam Darnold, you know, you love everything from the intangibles, the passing anticipation, uh, his ability to improvise on the move, uh, but the turnovers, uh, the lack of, uh, you know, the fact that he was so good as a registered freshman kind of took a step back uh, as a registered sophomore. Now, some of that surrounding cast and there's some other context that belongs in that conversation, but still, there's there's going to be some question marks there. With Josh Rosen, everything's pretty. Uh, the release, uh, the way his his pocket mechanics, um, but there's some issues there with his decision making. And then off the field, there's plenty of questions about uh, his mental makeup, his character, things that NFL teams are really going to have to dig into that you know they have been digging into and try to figure out. And then of course, Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield with Allen. He, to me, I call him scouting catnip because he is everything that you want from a physical perspective. He's the size, the athleticism, the arm talent. 
but he's still undeveloped in several critical areas of playing the position uh, from the timing, the body rhythm, uh, then overall accuracy down the field. And I, I think you're absolutely right. He had a great third quarter and he had, he got better throughout the week. And that's really what scouts are looking for um, at the senior bowl is for these prospects to take the coaching that they're, that they're getting and not only implement it, but then improve throughout the week. And that's something that we saw from Josh Allen from Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday, and then into the game, he showed that steady progression uh, improvement that we wanted to see. And so I think scouts, I don't think Josh Allen necessarily converted non-believers uh, that he is the real deal, but anyone that went into the game, went into senior bowl week, believing in Josh Allen or intrigued, I think they left with the same type of feelings. Uh, he definitely uh, didn't hurt himself by going to Mobile. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, those were the the headliners. They they really stole all the headlines. But there's a couple other quarterbacks there. You talk about Mike White from Western Kentucky, actually teammates with Forrest Lamp, who the Chargers are excited to see on the field in 2018. And then uh, Kyle Laletta from Richmond. How do these guys fit into this quarterback draft puzzle? Yeah, both both played well. Um, and both were on the South squad. Uh, so they were competing against each other during practice. Uh, Laletta is interesting, you know, coming from the FCS level, he wondered how the jumping competition, the speed, how that would affect him. And he, he looked like he belonged. He did not look out of place. Uh, with Laletta, I see a player that is similar to kind of like a Trevor Simeon Mm -hmm. where, you know, he's, he's smart, he's tough, he's accurate. Uh, you know, the physical traits are okay. Not, they're not going to just wow you. But he's, he's a very tough kid. And you, at Richmond, he got better yeah, every year. He tore his ACL as a junior, uh, but he came back strong this year, uh, improved his production from the previous two years. Uh, he comes from a, a quarterback family. His dad was a, a quarterback at Navy. Uh, and Laletta, he had a deal with four different offensive coordinators at Richmond. So this is a guy who has been through a lot of different systems, uh, he, he's had a lot of playbooks to digest. He's a very sh- sharp guy. Uh, and I think we saw that this week at the senior bowl and in the game as the MVP, he played, uh, really well. And then Mike white, uh, you know, his stats and production dropped off this past year, but, uh, you know, a big part of that was obviously losing the coaching staff, uh, coach Brom going to Purdue, uh, and, you know, of course losing his, his left tackle force lamp. Yeah. yeah that was a that big was part big. of it too. Uh, but with, with, with Mike, he's, Again, not not going to wow you with the physical traits necessarily, but he has an understanding for placement, has an understanding for timing, uh, very good rhythm thrower. Uh, he made plenty of nice uh, plays throughout the week. Um, I think to me, Mike White is competing with Mason Rudolph to be that second quarterback off the board. And then Laletta, he's put himself right in the mix to uh, be that that sexy mid-round development project. I don't, he's not quite Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't, I'm not going to put him up on that pedestal. I heard a lot of people um, talking about that comparison, pick. Dane, the Jimmy Garoppolo comparison. And, you know, you may want to pump the brakes on that a yeah. little bit, right? Yeah, to me, that's just, it's low-hanging fruit. I mean, I get it. It's, it, you know, Jimmy G was, it's kind of a hot name right now with what he's doing in San Francisco. Uh, Garoppolo was a legitimate first or second rounder when he came out of Eastern Illinois. Uh, well, is a good player, but he's more of someone that belongs in the third to fifth round mix, uh, which isn't a bad thing. You know, he's still very worthy of a uh, mid round draft pick and a guy that you want to develop. 
I just wouldn't put him in the same conversation as Garoppolo coming out of college. And you mentioned Mason Rudolph. He wasn't able to perform uh, at the Senior Bowl, but he did show up at the beginning. I think that was kudos to him for for at least coming and, and talking to, to the media and talking to some of these teams. Dave, we move over to the linebackers. And UCF linebacker Shaquem Griffin, the overall practice player of the week at the Senior Bowl, Tuesday, he was officially invited to the Combine, which probably took a little bit too long, in my opinion. What did he show you last week that really made you say, hey, this guy can make an impact in the NFL? Well, he played exactly how he played on his, on his tape, and that was just the play speed, uh, nonstop. He doesn't fatigue out there. You watch him against uh, Memphis in, in, in the conference championship game. He was going full speed late into the in, in, into overtime. I mean, it just he does wow. not take a playoff. It's amazing how fast he plays, and uh, it's just it's nonstop, relentless energy. Um, he, obviously, there's you know the questions with you know he's missing his left hand. Um, it, there are you know it's that is a limitation. Uh, there's just no way around it. You know, it, it's going to hurt him when he tries to take on blockers. Um, it's going to hurt him sometimes when he tries to make tackles, especially off balance tackles. But when you watch the play speed, you watch the intelligence, and you just love the passion for the game, there's a place for him on my football team. Uh, I think he starts off as a special teams demon, a guy that's going to you know, be the first one down on special teams and look to make plays. And then I'm going to bring him in on, as, as a sub-package linebacker. Let him rush off the edge. Let him drop. Um, you know, he can do a little bit of everything. He's not going to be an every-down player probably. But this is a draftable player um, and a guy who continues, no matter what, you know, this, uh, this past season as a senior, he defied odds. At the Senior Bowl, he did the same. He'll probably do the same at the Combine. He's been doing it his entire life. So, and that, the biggest thing, you know, talking with scouts about him, it's not like he lost his left hand two years ago in a car accident. You know, he's not had that left hand since uh, the age of four. Yeah. So he doesn't know how to play football any other way. And so I think that's, uh, that's something that really stands out because uh, he understands how to use kind of the limitation uh, to his advantage in certain ways. Um, and to me, he's, he's going to be a draft pick. There's no question about it. Um, and I think there, there's a, plenty of NFL teams who believe in his ability to play the game at a high level in the NFL. Mentioned at the top, we're just a month away from the combine. And really, like you said, like the senior bowl, it's just another piece of the pie here in the draft evaluation process. Besides the medical, which obviously you hear from teams, is the most important part of the weekend, what questions get answered that may affect a team's draft board in Indy? Well, yeah, and like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of a cross-checking exercise where you know guys that are expected to run fast, you want to make sure that they, they do run fast. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that maybe looked a little tight in their movements, okay, well, how do they do in the three-cone drill? How do they do in, in the, you know, the short agility drills that help measure that, that short area quickness. Um, and I, I think, you know, the medicals are definitely number one. I'd say number two at the combine is probably the interviews, getting guys up on the whiteboard. You know, what's their football intelligence? Uh, what's their uh, recall uh, and ability to uh, understand the information that they're being taught and then, you know, spit it back out. Now, just how, how much do they know the intelligence, the mental makeup? I think the interview process, is absolutely just imperative and because for uh, these scouts have been on the road they've been doing the work but for a lot of these general managers a lot of these coaches the interviews at the combine good chance that's going to be their first introduction to the player and so first introductions they mean a lot and so the interviews uh, are a big part of it Uh, and then of course 
you know, the, the weigh-ins and the on-field drills, uh, getting, you know, just putting quantitative data to the athleticism, uh, getting a chance to uh, compare these guys as athletes. Sometimes I can help separate uh, different players, but above all, if a guy runs faster than you necessarily expected, well, then it's time to go back to the tape and figure out why. Uh, what did we miss that uh, this guy's a better athlete than we expected? Maybe he's just a, you know, a workout warrior and trying to figure out that puzzle. So there's plenty to learn uh, in, in Indy, and we're still, well, we're under about a month away, so plenty of prep to do for Indianapolis. Dane, I look back to last year, and I think of a guy like John Ross, who I think a lot of people had is like a late mm-hmm. first early second, then he runs that ridiculous 40 time, and all of a sudden he's a top 10 pick. Do things like that at, at the Combine really affect a team's board that much? Or you know, was, was a guy like John Ross in that conversation as a top 10 pick? It's just, it's just funny to me how we look at one thing and it gets really hyped up. And not that it trumps what you see on tape, but a lot of stock is put into it. And then thus, you, know, you see a guy like Ross go in the top 10. Right. And, you know, we can cite case after case. Yeah, there's so many of them. Worked out well. Yeah. You know, and it's tough because I get it with John Ross. I think going into the combine, he was viewed as a later first round pick. Um, and then he had that speed. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we already knew he was fast, but does he really deserve to jump 15 spots exactly. in the draft, 20 spots in the draft? Because he, ran a little bit faster than you expected. And, you know, we saw this past year as a rookie, how that worked out for him. And, you know, by no means am I giving up on John Ross. We'll see what he does in year two for the Bengals. But so far, it's hard to look at that pick, uh, you know, in a favorable way. You just, you hope that, you know, you don't let the the numbers kind of affect the tape. Um, You know, I think it's, 80% 80% tape, 20% uh, the everything else, uh, or you know, 85-15, whatever you know ratio you want to spit out there. Bottom line, the tape is what matters more than anything. That's where you know you, it's it's a guy playing football. The pads are on. Uh, you know, how does he run? Not not necessarily just in a straight line, but the speed in his routes. Uh, for a cornerback, uh, you know, is he taking wasted steps? Doesn't matter if he a corner has four three speed. If he's taking wasted or wasted steps and the body rhythms off, it doesn't really matter how fast he is. So there's plenty that goes into it. Uh, a lot of coaches feel that hey, as long as he has the speed, well, we can't teach speed, but we can teach everything else. We can teach a technique. We can te- teach uh, the things that he's lacking. And I get that thinking uh, from a head coach perspective or an assistant coach perspective, but. At the same time, if he's not showing it on tape uh, and, you know, during workouts, he doesn't show it. It's hard to really believe in that, especially in the first round. So hopefully the teams don't get too seduced by the numbers. But, uh, you know, it happens almost every year. Dan, the Chargers select at number 17 overall this year. A lot of different positions could be in play. And I know it's early, but I want to throw out a few names that I've seen tied to the Chargers in you know, a million mock drafts that we're going to see over the next three months that did not play in the senior bowl. Just get your kind of quick hit initial reaction to them. And the first, I think, is actually a guy that you had in your first mock, uh, a very intriguing prospect from Florida State, the safety Derwin James. Yeah, I did. And uh, Derwin's interesting because he's a better athlete than polished football player right now. But this guy is everything football. I mean, he's, I think he has a chance to be a big time player. Uh, he projects best as kind of a, a big nickel defender where he can do a little bit of everything. He can blitz off the edge. 
he can play man to man. He can play deep safety. Uh, I think he has such a high ceiling. Uh, he was so good as a true freshman in 2015. Then he missed all of 2016 uh, with an injury, and he came back this past year. And you could tell there's a little bit of rust, and he got better uh, toward the end of the season. Uh, but he's still lacking in a few areas. But I think it's more inexperience based than you know he's not going to be able to do it. And so I think for a team, if they can get Derwin James in the, somewhere in the teens that could end up being a huge bargain because the ceiling is very high with Derwin. Another guy, defensive tackle, uh, Vita Vea from Washington. The Chargers had had some trouble stopping the run this year, especially when uh, Denzel Perryman was out of the lineup. You look at the rotation that they've already formed, it may be nice to get another guy in the mix like Vea. Vea's a rare guy. Um, Eager to see what his weigh-in looks like at the Combine uh, because he looks about 340 pounds. But at the same time, you know, his movement skills look like he looks like he's 240 pounds. Yeah, he can run. Um, he, he's one of the few guys where you're going to watch on one play him take on a double team and split the double team. And then the next play, chase down a ball carrier at the sideline. I mean, he, it's just amazing the physical traits, what he can do. He really is a rare guy. Uh, I just there's a lot of questions about his discipline, uh, the technique. Uh, being able to show the same intensity for all four quarters. Um, and, you know, those things are, are question marks, but there's no question about the traits. And that's why I think there's a good chance he could go somewhere in the top 15 picks. But if he's available in the 15 to 20 area, um, I don't think it's going to take very long for a team to snatch him up. Uh, there, again, there's going to be questions about him, uh, especially with this, the technique and the discipline. But, if you know, you just don't see guys like this very often with these types of uh, the power traits and the athleticism. Some other interesting defensive tackles in this draft that could be potentially drafted in the first round. Another guy, Deron Payne from Alabama, Dane. He had a, a good season this past year, but it is amazing how he played his two best games that I've ever seen him play uh, in the in the playoff, the college football playoff against Clemson. He had the interception. He had the touchdown catch. Uh, and then against uh, Georgia in the championship game, he was outstanding. Uh, it's like he knew he was going pro, and he just he put everything into those final two games. Okay, well, why didn't I see this all year? You know, I, I want to see it more because you you love the traits. He's a he's a fluid big man. Reminds me of he doesn't have the same uh, nastiness and uh, production as Indomitian Sue. But there's a lot of Indomitian Sioux to his game. With the way he moves, the upper body power, uh, the quick hips, uh, there's a lot to like about the traits and the player he can grow into. My biggest question is, the player that we saw in the championship game and the semis, why didn't we see that all year? Because if we saw that all year, Deron Payne would be a lock top 10 pick, maybe as high as a top five. Uh, we just I want to see it more. And so we're trying to figure out uh, you know, why we didn't see it earlier in the season. All right, a couple more here. His teammate, the linebacker, Rashawn Evans. Chargers may be looking at a linebacker, either in free agency in the draft, to go with guys like Denzel Perryman. And Evans is an intriguing prospect, man. He is, and he was a kind of strong side linebacker in Nick Saban's uh, multiple uh, front seven. Uh, you know, He would uh, go down the line of scrimmage and put his hand on the ground and rush off the edge and obvious passing down. Uh, but he, you know, it, I really was disappointed he chose not to play at the Senior Bowl because I really wanted to see him 
uh, drop in coverage and see how he could hold up. We've seen him do it a little bit at Alabama, but most of the time he was a downhill player. Uh, that's his strength, uh, his ability to take on blocks, uh, be, you know, match power for power, uh, very uh, powerful tackler. Uh, so I wanted to see him, uh, how he did in space, how he did uh, anticipating passing windows uh, and hold up against uh, the backs out of the, out of the backfield, tight ends. And we didn't get a chance to see that at the Senior Bowl. And we only see a little bit of it on his tape. But Rashawn Evans is a very good player. Um, I, to me, I see more of a late first-rounder. But if Roquan Smith, uh, Tremaine Edmonds, the top two linebackers are off the board, I think there are several teams, the Chargers, the Cowboys, uh, who are going to be looking at Rashawn Evans as a possibility in that mid-first. All right, Dane, last one. On the offensive line, uh, underclassman Orlando Brown from Oklahoma uh, you look at some of these offensive linemen in the in the first round that could potentially be drafted, and, and this is a guy who really rises above most. Orlando Brown is a is a big man, and a son of uh, Zeus Brown, a yeah. longtime NFL player, uh, passed away a few years ago. Uh, but he's another guy I'm eager to see what he weighs in at because he's about looks about six eight, three hundred forty pounds, and he's not your traditional left tackle where, you know, he has the foot quickness uh, and, you know, he moves like uh, a Joe Thomas, anything like that. He, he lumbers a little bit, but he's able to get away with it because he's so wide his base. Uh, it, and so he's able to shut down the edge. It worked for him at Oklahoma. Uh, it, he's a little sluggish when he pulls uh, his hand placement's an issue, but for a guy that's that size and he moves well enough, uh, it, it, there's a lot of differing opinions out there in the NFL. Some guys believe he could be an NFL left tackle from day one. Some are a little more skeptical. So eager to see him at the combine. There's plenty we can learn about him. This tackle class is really all, all over the map. Some prefer Connor Williams from Texas. Some prefer Orlando Brown from Oklahoma. And then there's uh, about a handful of other guys that'll be considered in the late first and then into the second round. So there's a 